This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Chapter 13, we're looking this morning at verses 31 through 35 and then 44 through 50. Matthew 13, verse 31, hear the word of God. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then turn to uh, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for the scriptures. And Lord, we pray as we study them now that you will teach us, that your spirit would accompany the word with your power. Lord, not merely to equip our minds with things that we should know, but to change our hearts, to change our lives with the truths of your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most telling questions in all of Scripture comes in Acts chapter 1. Jesus has concluded his earthly ministry. He actually has been, at this point, crucified. He has been raised from the dead. He has appeared to his disciples and to many others at different times. And he is just about to ascend into heaven. The opportunity to ask a last question from his disciples. 
What question do they ask? Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? The scriptures record Jesus' answer to them, but they don't record his heart. And I don't know what Jesus felt or what his facial expression was when his disciples asked that question, but I can tell you how I would have felt. I would have felt great disappointment. Because here, Jesus is about to leave, and his disciples betray a fundamental misunderstanding about the kingdom of heaven after all Jesus' teaching, after all of his being with them, after seeing his death and resurrection. They still don't get it. In fact, I would suggest that short of simply overcoming the fallen, sinful nature of humanity, one of the most difficult tasks that Jesus had in his teaching ministry was getting people to understand the true nature of the kingdom of God, or as Matthew likes to describe it, the kingdom of heaven, in their midst. One of the most difficult tasks Jesus faced was getting people to understand the true nature of the messianic kingdom. Because most people were expecting a revolution. Most people were expecting a political, military assault and overthrow of the Ro- against an overthrow of the Roman government and a reinstitution of the kingdom of Israel, something like it was in David's day or Solomon's day. And so here Jesus was very end of his earthly ministry. And they ask, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Well, if Jesus had a hard time with his disciples, he certainly had a hard time with uh, many of the people who followed him, the crowds that uh, attended his teaching, that hung on his words. And as we've seen, Matthew chapter 13 is is a chapter that specifically focuses on the nature of the kingdom. What is the kingdom of heaven like? Well, that's what Jesus teaches here. And he does so through a number of parables to explain the nature of the kingdom. In fact, as we saw in uh, verses 34 and 35, uh, it comments, Matthew comments that Jesus used parables. In fact, he said nothing to them without a parable. That's not to say Jesus just told parables only. But when he taught, he, he didn't teach without using parables to illustrate and explain and communicate, and in some cases, as we've already seen, to hide the truth about the kingdom. And Matthew notes this was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet, and he refers there to Psalm 78. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world, commenting that even Jesus' use of parables was itself a fulfillment of the Old Testament. Well, here we have a number of parables where Jesus is teaching about the nature of the kingdom of heaven. And his disciples needed to understand it. The crowds needed to understand it. Uh, and you and I need to understand the nature of the kingdom of heaven. Now, we have an advantage. We have the Holy Spirit. Of course, Acts chapter 2 is where the Spirit is given. And it does make a tremendous difference in the disciples. Uh, whereas before, they seem very slow to understand once the Spirit has come, it's as if the lights have been turned on. And their, their 
understanding, their comprehension of what Jesus taught and did really begins to coalesce with the help and the light of the Holy Spirit. Well, you and I have that Holy Spirit. We have the advantage of hindsight, Paul's letters uh, that had not yet been written uh, when the disciples were walking with Jesus. Uh, We have that. But even so, there is a tendency among believers today to misunderstand the nature of the kingdom. And so let's look at what Jesus says. The first thing that he has to say about the kingdom of heaven is that it is a growing kingdom. You see, one of the misconceptions was that the kingdom would just be ushered in with a bang. But it wasn't that way. Jesus tells two parables to illustrate that the kingdom is a growing kingdom. The first thing that Jesus teaches about the kingdom as a growing kingdom is that it grew from very small beginnings. And this is taught in the parable of the mustard seed. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. And it is. It's a tiny little thing. In fact, the mustard seed was uh, proverbial for its smallness. In fact, you recall later, Jesus said to his disciples, if you have faith, even as small as a mustard seed. So that was, that was the standard for tiny, was the mustard seed. And Jesus uses that as an illustration of the kingdom. He said it's like uh, a mustard seed, the man sowed in his field, that's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. Now we need to recognize that a mustard plant or tree was not huge. Uh, we don't want to think of it as being some sort of redwood or, or even a large oak tree like the trees out here. Typically, full-grown mustard was 10 or 12 feet tall. It was, it was big, that it wasn't gigantic. But Jesus is pointing that among garden plants, as people would cultivate, it was rather large, relatively large, much like a large shrub or bush. Uh, in fact, it's referred to as a tree because it, would, it was pretty good size for much of the vegetation uh, in that area. But the point is not how big it gets, because Jesus wasn't having to deal with conceptions that the kingdom would be big and impressive. They knew that. They understood that. But what Jesus had to get across was that the kingdom at one point would be tiny and seemingly insignificant. And that was the nature of Jesus' ministry. He was teaching them not to despise what they saw taking place in Jesus' own ministry. In his own teaching and interaction. People would look at it and think, well, this is the Messiah? How can this be the Messiah? And even leading up to his death, um, people's preconceptions got in the way. But Jesus is saying, don't despise what I'm doing because it seems tiny, because it seems small, because it seems inconsequential. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It starts out tiny, easy to overlook. Unimpressive. But in the end, it grows. It becomes bigger. It's, it's organic. It is a growing, living thing that is getting bigger and growing. And, he says, it reaches a point that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, you may read that and just think, well, that's, you know, an interesting conclusion to the parable. But it actually is more than that. Uh, if you would, would turn over to Ezekiel chapter 17. Ezekiel 17, verse 22. Jesus is actually drawing uh, an image from the Old Testament. 
found in several places, actually, a couple in Ezekiel and in Daniel, where the image of a tree uh, is used. But look at this, Ezekiel uh, 17, verse 22. Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and will set it out. I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one, and I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest, and all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. Well, here Jesus says this mustard becomes a tree, that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. It provides a safe place. It provides a place of rest. It provides a home. And that's the image that Jesus is drawing from from Ezekiel's prophecy about the kingdom that God would plant. It would grow there. The idea of a cedar here, the mustard, but the idea is the same. The birds of the air will come and they'll be able to take refuge. Well, people will be able to come and find a home and find rest and refuge and protection and life in the kingdom of heaven as it grows and expands. But Jesus uses another uh, picture to uh, impress upon us the, the organic and growing nature of the kingdom of heaven, and that is the parable he tells of the leaven. Uh, just one verse, verse uh, 33, very short parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Now, if Jesus is teaching with the mustard seed that the, that the kingdom grows from small beginnings, here he's teaching that the kingdom grows in imperceptible ways and pervasive ways, permeating, moving out, spreading, but in a way that really is not easy sometimes to notice. Uh, the leaven, of course, was yeast that was put in the dough to enable it to rise to, so you could make bread. Now, interestingly, leaven in the scriptures is almost always portrayed negatively. It tends to represent sin. It tends to represent corruption and the tendency of sin to spread. Remember when Paul is talking to the Corinthians about church discipline, he says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Therefore, you need to take the, the, the impenitent, sinning person from your midst because they will begin to affect and maybe tempt and uh, contaminate the rest of the body. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Uh, and so that's typical. But here Jesus actually takes leaven and uses it in a positive sense, of course, to represent the kingdom. And that leaven works itself through the dough. You can't really see it, but it's there and it will have its effect. And so Jesus is teaching that while people may see Jesus' ministry, hear his teaching, they really can't recognize what's going on. There's more going on than meets the eye. There's more going on under the surface, perhaps in people's lives or other people that they haven't come in contact with, than they may be aware of. And that's an important teaching for us as far as the kingdom is concerned as well. Because, yes, the kingdom may grow like that mustard seed into a tree, something visible, something we could see. We see that it's advancing, making progress. But the kingdom also grows in ways that are not seen, in ways that are more subtle in our own hearts. Sometimes the worst judge of our own spiritual progress, or lack thereof, is ourselves. And in the church, 
Uh, I remember having a conversation with someone one time when we were talking about just philosophy ministry and the church and, and, and this congregation. And he made the observation that, you know, we have things in the bulletin, activities, ministries, programs that may take place that we advertise or publicize in the bulletin, make known. But he made this observation, and I think it's an important one. There's always more going on in the church than is listed in the bulletin. People have others over to their home for a meal, or someone gets together with someone for lunch to encourage or to teach or to disciple, uh, taking meals. There are things that happen. There, are ministry, uh, there is ministry that takes place that you, you may never be aware of in the church. But that's the leaven, working in people's lives and working in our community. Jesus calls us to be salt and light. Well, salt isn't seen in the food that it savors and preserves, but it is tasted, its effects are seen. And so likewise, when Jesus speaks of the leaven here, he's teaching us that the kingdom may be growing and doing things in ways that we're not aware of, whether in our own lives, in our church community, or in the world around us. And so that's the first thing Jesus is teaching to the crowds. He's saying, don't look down on what I'm doing because it seems small, because it seems inconsequential, because it seems... um, Tiny, easy to dismiss, because the kingdom of heaven is like that mustard seed growing. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. It's spreading, and things are going on even that you do not see, even that you may not be aware of. So be aware that the kingdom is a growing kingdom. And that's true today. That's true in us. It's true in this church. Uh, we, we aren't always looking for the big show, the big bang, the big splash. God often works in very quiet and behind-the-scenes kinds of ways. It's a growing kingdom, but Jesus also teaches that it is a valuable kingdom. Look at verses 44 through 46. Jesus teaches two parables here that basically say the same thing. Teach the value, the surpassing worth of the kingdom. First was the parable of the treasure hidden in the field. Uh, Jesus says there's this treasure, and a man found it. He apparently was not looking for it. But he comes across this treasure, and when he finds it, he covers it up. Now, that was not all that unusual occurrence. It didn't take place every day, but in a day where they did not have banks such as we know them, uh, people would often protect their valuable possessions or money by burying it. X marks the spot. They would put it underground and uh, hopefully remember where it was. But sometimes they would hide possessions in the ground to protect them from uh, advancing marauding armies. And sometimes something might happen. They may be killed or displaced, and the treasure is never recovered. And it's there until someone should come upon it and find uh, this buried treasure. And that's kind of the situation Jesus is describing. A man finds this treasure buried in the field, and in his joy he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. Sells everything to raise the money he needs to purchase that piece of land. And the second parable is like it, although this time the man's looking. He's searching. A merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went, sold all that he had, and bought that pearl. Now, the principle here is that the kingdom of heaven is worth whatever it takes to gain it. And in fact, will be more valuable than whatever you give up to gain it. And in fact, the word give up is almost misleading. Note 
what we find in, in verse 44. In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has. He cannot wait to liquidate his possessions, to have the money to go and get this treasure, get by the field and get that treasure that's buried in the field. So it becomes his. He's, he's excited. It's not a reluctant, painful thing. He recognizes that the value in this field is far more in value than what he has. And so with the pearl merchant who is out looking and he sees this pearl and he thinks, I've got to have that pearl that's worth more than anything else I have. So I'm going to go sell everything in order to buy that pearl. Now, it's done joyfully and not reluctantly. Now we find, although not expressed in parable form, uh, that same idea taught in Philippians chapter 3. There you may be aware Paul is describing uh, his his own response to the gospel uh, in relationship to what he had. Now, Paul did not give up material possessions so much to follow Christ, although he probably did to some degree. Uh, that, but here he describes giving up other things, while not material, were of great value. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul describes... His credentials as a Jew, circumcised on the eighth day, just like the law said, of the people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews. His own character, his own legal righteousness, he says, a Pharisee. Uh, His zeal for God, he was a persecutor of the church, which you'll remember, Paul at the time thought he was serving God by persecuting the church and trying to eradicate this, uh, this Jesus movement. But note verse 7, Philippians 3, verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. That is the parable of the hidden treasure. That is the parable of the pearl of great value. Paul says, all of these things that once were so valuable to me, that built up my sense of self-esteem, that made me somebody accounted as lost compared to knowing Christ, and I've given them up, and and not that he mourns every night for those things, he counts them as, as garbage compared to knowing Christ. He's gained the pearl. He's gained that treasure. And so that needs to be our attitude as well. The kingdom of heaven is worth whatever it takes and more in order that you might gain it and follow Christ. Bishop uh, John Charles Ryle, J.C. Ryle, is one of my favorites. He was an evangelical minister in the Church of England in the 1800s. True Victorian, uh, born I think in 1816, died in I believe 1900. Uh, I I commend to you his writings. His book, Holiness, is probably his most well-known work, uh, but he certainly wrote many other things on the Christian life and on church history. But he comments on this parable in 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 these words. He says, Behold, in these two parables, the real clue to the conduct of many unconverted people. They are what they are in religion, Because they are not fully persuaded that it is worthwhile to be different. They flinch from decision. They shrink from taking up the cross. They halt between two opinions. They will not commit themselves. 
They will not come forward boldly on the Lord's side. And here it is with the non-Christian. When confronted with this treasure of the kingdom, when confronted with the pearl of great value, they won't, they won't come. They won't commit to it. They won't give up what it takes. Why? And why, he says, because they are not convinced that it will compensate them. They're not sure that Jesus is worth giving up what this world affords. And he continues, they are not convinced it will compensate them. They are not sure that the treasure is before them. They are not satisfied that the pearl is worth so great a price. They cannot yet make up their minds to sell all that they may win Christ. And so too often they perish everlastingly. When a man will venture nothing for Christ's sake, we must draw the sorrowful conclusion that he has not yet got the grace of God. May it not be so with you, and certainly not so with me. Because there were those. Think of the rich young ruler who walked away. He was not willing to give what he had in this world for Christ. And it can be certainly material things, but it can be non-material things too, as it was with the Apostle Paul. That we're not willing to give them up. We're not sure that we're going to be winners by Christ if we do. And yet Jesus himself teaches us in this parable that the kingdom, Christ himself, and eternal life in him, is certainly worth far more than anything we might uh, give up, might leave behind, might put aside in order to be faithful followers of Christ. Your friends, no matter what you have given up, even your life itself, when you arrive in heaven, in Christ, you will realize you sacrificed nothing. Well, Jesus also tells us a truth about the kingdom in verses 47 through 50. And here he tells us that the kingdom is a mixed kingdom. Now, this parable in some ways is similar to the one we looked at before of the weed and the wheat. The wheat, the wheat and the weeds. That's the name of it. Let's say wheat and tares. That's much easier. Uh, the wheat and the tares. The good wheat, the kingdom, the people who are believers, and the weeds or the tares that grew up in the midst of those. Now, there, Jesus says that the, the field is the world. And we've talked about how that parable describes how believers and unbelievers will coexist in the world until Jesus returns. But certainly within the world also is the church, and that's true in the church. Well, here, Jesus is, I think, specifically speaking about the church. Because it's those who've been caught in the net of the kingdom. Now, Jesus describes a scene that was familiar to many of them, certainly to any number of his disciples, and it had to do with fishing. A net is thrown out into the sea, and it gathers fish of every kind. The net is non-discriminating. If the fish is there in front of it, it gets caught in the net. And when the net is full, they drag it in ashore. They sit down and go through and sort into containers the fish they want to keep, but throw away those which uh, are not what they're looking for. Well, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like that. The kingdom of heaven is, is like this net, and it's gathering people into it, and yet uh, it gathers certainly those who are regenerate, those who are in Christ, but there are those within the net of the church, the kingdom, uh, as Jesus describes it, who are not regenerate, who are not born again. We looked last time at the confession of faith and how it describes that every congregation will be more or less pure, every church more or less pure, made up of more believers or maybe more unbelievers. 
Well, that's what Jesus is describing here, and they will be sorted out at the end. Those who were in Christ, those who are regenerate, those who have a changed heart, who truly believed in Jesus, will be saved. They will be brought into uh, eternal glory. But those who are not, Jesus describes the angels separating the evil from the righteous. And the emphasis here is not on the end of the righteous, it's on the end of the wicked. We'll throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, that imagery of agony. If I might quote uh, J.C. Ryle once more, uh, describing that situation and the need to examine ourselves to make sure that we're not just on the role of a church, but we're in the Lamb's book of life. He says, finally, let it be a settled principle with us never to be satisfied with mere outward church membership. We We may be inside the net and yet not be in Christ. The waters of baptism are poured on myriads who've never washed in the water of life. The bread and wine are eaten and drunk by thousands at the Lord's table who never feed on Christ by faith. Are we converted? Are we among the good fish? This is the grand question. It's the one which must be answered at last. The net will soon be drawn to shore. The true character of every man's religion will at length be exposed. There will be an eternal separation between the good fish and the bad. There will be a furnace of fire for the wicked. Surely, as Richard Baxter, Puritan writer, says... These plain words more need belief and consideration than exposition. Because you see, the the words are plain enough. They don't need to be explained. They need for us to consider them and to believe them. Five short parables, but three big truths. The kingdom of God is growing from tiny, insignificant beginnings. It grows to fill the world, transforming people, transforming societies, transforming, we trust, you and me along the way. The kingdom of God is valuable. It's worth far more than anything you might give up in order to gain it and follow Christ. And the kingdom of God is is a mixed kingdom here in this world. The visible church contains believers and unbelievers, the regenerate and the unconverted. And so the great business of your life and mine is to make sure that we are one of those good fish, that your membership in the kingdom is not merely external, but real, and that you are, in fact, in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these words, these beautiful, short parables, yet powerful, that teach us about the nature of your kingdom. Father, I pray for myself and for all of us here that we would, in fact, be true members of the kingdom of heaven, and not just visibly and outwardly, but truly and inwardly. Father, increase our faith. Help us to grow. Help that mustard seed of faith that you've given to us to grow into strong faith, that spiritual life that you've given us as spiritual infants to grow to maturity and make us faithful citizens of your kingdom. We ask it in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.